All right, you ready? Yes. Here we go. Today is Monday, August 18th, 2014, and this is episode 80 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as usual, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Good evening, Jerry. 80. Good round number. Look at that. Who would have thunk it? I know. Craziness. Craziness. And uh, just a reminder, the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our employer. Employers, plural. Past, present, future. Yeah. Or other dimensional. So um, uh, I did hear very briefly from Bob and he uh, wanted me to remind everyone that they should absolutely, under no circumstance, ever, 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 ever connect their... uh, internet-facing IIS or, or Windows servers uh, to their Active Directory domain, ever. <laughs> Can't imagine why not, just because uh, they'll get popped and then your entire AD credential list is exposed. I don't see the problem. Uh, ever, ever, uh, yeah, he, he went on for a while. Ever, 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 ever. I thought I saw him, by the way, while watching coverage of the riots and protests in Ferguson. I thought I saw him in the background. He did say that he, yeah, I'm not going to go there. He was holding a sign. Yep. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> not going there. You can try. Not going to do it. I'll, I'll trick you into it later. All right. So uh, first story we have tonight comes from uh blog. So there's a there's just, just a little bit of background on this story. Uh, a a person with the Twitter handle DA667 and a number of other people have started a new movement called I Am The Artillery. And uh, they published their first blog post and they kind of dissected a... Uh, th- this particular story that we're going to talk about right, right here. And the title of this one is your website's been hacked, now what? And it's on this blog.soundidea.co.za, which is, uh, as I recall, South Africa. Um, you know, there's some obvious problems with it, but I think, uh, you know, I think even the, the critique of it had some opportunity for improvement. So I just thought it was an, a, good, a good chance to talk through some of the incident response best practices for when your website does get hacked, because that happens to quite a lot of us. Uh, the recommendations in this blog post are to, number one, run an AV scan. Number two, identify the machine that was hacked. Number three, alert your hosting provider. Number four, make backups and then have someone investigate them later. Number five, reset all your passwords. Sounds perfect. Which What, uh, totally. what could possibly be wrong <laughs> totally. with that game plan? Totally. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to tell you, if your website's hacked, don't put it back. Don't do it. Don't do it. You want to re-image it, right? This is, you don't want to run an AV scan and, and, you know, go through all that. And by the way, 
What, what? Just malware bites. You're good. Well, I know. That's true that we just found out that uh, apparently they can clean up everything, right? Just done. Every, everything. I, you know, that's what the Iranians should have used. Clean up the centrifuges. That's true. That's. I don't know why they didn't. They could have put it on their USB. Oh, yeah. Mm. Probably uh, because it wasn't published in Farsi. That could be. You know. Could be. Anyway, I'm derailing your story. Yes, you are. So, um, so, so the, particularly if you're a if you're a organization of any of any size, you really don't want to run an AV scan on a system that's been compromised, where you may end up doing a forensic analysis. It's just a really bad idea. What you want to do is generally unplug the cable and and st- take a step back and and let people come in and take an image of it. If you, unless you're going to do that yourself. Um, Question. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Why would I care about taking an image for follow-up forensics anyway? Oh, great question. And that was actually going to dovetail into uh, one of my next points is you want to figure out what the heck happened. And, you know, for, from a couple of different angles, one is you really, really want to understand how they got in and uh, fix the problem, right? And one of the one of the fundamental problems um Bob has seen yes Bob Bob has seen in his career is that uh you know a site has been hacked and there is a a strong desire to clean it up and put it back into production you know either to uh run an AV scan and put it back up or to reimage it reload the software and put it back out there however that kind of negates the the whole concept that it got hacked in the first place, right? Something happened that let some people in. And until you fix that problem, they're probably going to come back. And by the way, if you just run an AV scan, you, you, it's probably a lot easier for the bad guys or girls to get back in because it's almost impossible you're going to, to be able to find all of the different backdoors People can leave, right? Not all of them are going to look at look like malware, so much less remediate the original root cause of the compromise. Anyway, exactly right. The other benefit to run uh, to a forensic analysis, by the way, is you get to figure out what they did while they were on there. And hopefully, obviously, sometimes you know you, I've seen cases where you can and cases where you can't figure out exactly what the intruder did while they were on the system. Uh, but that's kind of important, especially if you have some kind of sensitive data on your on your site. Uh, you, you may have some di- disclosure requirements or, or what have you. So that's, um, that's kind of important. Now, you know, it, this particular article seems to be targeted at you know, maybe the Soho kind of person, and I, I would imagine that most Soho kind of people aren't going to be running forensic analysis, but I still think that the underlying concern of figuring out how they got in in the first place is an important thing because it's probably just going to happen again uh, if you don't if you don't get to the bottom of, of what happened there. Um, so, serious question. Yes. What if you don't have the chops in your organization to actually figure it out? You know, that's... <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you know, at the end of the day, right, you're, you're left with a compromised box. You don't know how they got in. Right. 
So I guess, you know, which is possible. It is definitely if you have no off-board logging and you've got no third-party third alerting of traffic or anything, no other instrumentation, it's very possible that the bad guys are very came in and just erased all the log traces of whatever they did for the original compromise. Yep, yep. And, you know, it, it does... Look, it does happen where people will, uh, you know, will will follow the plan of reimaging the system or just cleaning off what they can find and putting it back out there. And you know, sometimes it it won't get hacked again, or maybe next time they just don't find out about it. Well, I think what may be fair is reimage, go back to known good, and then perhaps do a patch, patch everything you can. Check anything on there that's known to be vulnerable, especially if you've got any sort of WordPress. Check all the damn plugins. <laughs> Absolutely. Or just turn them all off, whatever. Uh, yeah, and by the way, it, you know, um, Bob... Change passwords, of course. Yeah, Sorry, but. I was going to say, Bob Bob has, uh, you know, has responded to many a compromised web server. And um, it, it, it's never been the case where it, it's not been really painfully obvious what happened. You know the the, uh, the the initial point of entry or method of entry has always been pretty easy to define or divine, I should say, either a, you know, missing patches or really sloppy code that allows file uploads or or something like that. Uh, the challenge gets gets uh, tricky when you're trying to figure out if if you've got them kicked out. Right, that's when you you really have some trouble. Yeah, certainly. And this is one reason why I'm not a fan of remediating. Yeah. I, I, a lot of people want to do it. A lot of people talk about doing it. A lot of organizations demand it. I get it. It's much less labor-intensive in theory and much less costly than a re-image. I don't think it's a viable plan long-term. You know, it's interesting. Bob was telling me this story about a, uh, <clears throat> a customer he had where uh, one of their servers got got compromised pretty pretty bad in fact uh, if i recall right bob was telling me i think four or five different actors had independently compromised this particular system and uh, you know had all kinds of bitcoin miners i'm amazed it did anything at all uh, but anyhow um, you know that the customer in that case thought it was a cop-out to simply re-image Right, they thought that they thought that Bob was trying to take the easy way out by not mm. remediating. Interesting, and uh, and you know, and in, in I think in that particular case, Bob's customer was a you know a non-technical type yep. company, and and so they it's a painful it's painful, right? Especially if you're running some kind of key business application and you're looking at downtime or, or what have you. It is, but this goes back to something we talk about all the time on the show, which is have a plan. If you're planning ahead of time for that eventuality and you've got a methodology in place, much like a DR plan, you know, you can, if it's truly a critical application, you should have a plan in place for dealing with outages. Yeah, I guess all I, just an observation I'll make is uh, when Bob gets called in, there's usually not, a, it's because there's not been a plan. <laughs> so I get it. But we're trying to make things better. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, I guess you don't want Bob to come in, right? You don't want... <laughs> He's like the wolf from Pulp Fiction. Yes, you don't want Bob here. So um, That or or he's like the Stig from Top Gear. One of the two. We're not sure which. Uh, but all that being said, 
you're right. A lot of people suck at it, and a lot of people really aren't good at it. But part of our mission, as it were, here is to hopefully improve things. And in Absolutely. my mind, if you own security, part of what you need to do is have a plan for remediation. And that remediation may include rip down to bare metal, re-image, rebuild. What do you do in the meantime? Do you have a backup? Do you have a secondary box? You know, how, how, how are you going to plan for that? And eventually we might get to a point, by the way, with the way things are going, that you may not be able to reuse that hardware We've seen stuff starting to sneak into firmware. That's, in a, that's a good point, yeah. So, I don't know. It's it's. There's no easy answer here, but I think we're not getting it right very often. So, But anyway. And, and it, it, it certainly is a, a whole new dimension of complexity for, you know, for, the, for the lower-end organizations that don't have you know, the in-house forensic capabilities or... Uh, you know, a, a mandiant on retainer or, or something like that. You know, this is this can can be kind of a tricky thing. And uh, you know, to your to your the point of your question, I don't. I really don't know exactly what you, you what you do. You have to, you know, obviously, you need to to do your due diligence to the to the extent that you can, right? Because you don't want to you don't want to just propagate the problem, right? If you, you yes, I think everybody. Listening to the podcast can probably, you know, make make the uh, uh, the judgment that you need to reimage, but the the question becomes: Well, how do we know that we fixed the underlying problem that let them in in the first place? And that often requires uh, some pretty specialized skills that cost some serious money. Yeah, I would agree, hundred percent agree with that statement. It's not something your average web admin is going to have the experience or the background to figure out, unless, like you said, it's painfully obvious. Right. As Bob has seen in a couple, of, like, oh well, hey, they popped that box, and there was an SSH share trusting over to here that gave them root. All right, there's a problem. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Oops. Yep. Or uh, or oh, we you know we hadn't we hadn't patched that version of WordPress yeah. since 2010. I don't see what the problem is with username adword, admin, password admin. I, it, <laughs> if the manufacturer said it, it must be good. That's right. They, they wouldn't lead us astray. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, um, th- there's a, there's some other recommendations in, uh, in here about trying not to get your site hacked. You know, obviously keeping your, your, uh, your site patched is really important, especially if, you're a Soho user, you know, there was a, uh, I don't remember if we talked about this last time or not, right? But there was a, a recent report that talked about, I think it was Cisco's, in fact, that talked about uh, the proliferation of abandoned WordPress sites being a real big problem. And, you know, I've personally seen this, and I know Bob has seen it too, where, uh, you know, companies of all sizes, will set up applications and then just uh, for whatever reason abandon them you know the person that sets it up is moves on and uh, and it gets forgotten about or, or what have you uh, that's uh you know that's something that's pretty easy to avoid uh, in my in my mind uh, keeping them obviously keep keeping your plugins patched if it's a WordPress site uh, good password you know, Good password discipline, password manager, is a is an important thing. I know I, I got into a bit of a Twitter debate with someone about, 
you know, two factor is the uh, is the way of the future, and you know, I, I'm not going to debate that. But in the meantime, what are we going to do, right? You gotta you gotta live it in the here and now, and and using something like a password manager is is almost uh, table stakes these days. And yeah, you know, the other thing that comes to mind too, from a preemptive standpoint, is there's all sorts of good commoditized tools out there for doing vulnerability scans against your websites. Yep. You know, either on demand, self serve. Or with third parties. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a good opportunity to catch all that lying fruit. Yeah. Maybe not all of it, but most of it. And a lot of times, just, you know, candidly from from uh, from firsthand experience, and, and I know Bob has conveyed the same kind of uh, thought, is most of these attacks aren't really complicated. You know, they're if they're not automated, completely automated... They're, uh, you know, they're, they're somebody just scanning and trolling for certain vulnerabilities. So it does make sense to, to um, you know, as you said, address the low-hanging fruit. Let's not make it easy on these guys and girls. And other gender identification. Yes. Whatever whatever gender. So You clearly have not gone to your sensitivity training this, I, yet this quarter. I'm, I'm running behind on that. <laughs> that other stuff going on. <laughs> All right, our next story comes from uh, CNN Money, and uh, this is you know all the best infosec stories come come from from CNN Money. Absolutely. So um, this this is actually I I would say the tip of the iceberg. Right now is a very interesting time in the infosec community because we're we're um, we're in the DefCon B sides black hat. coma period so there isn't a whole lot of you know hard-hitting uh infosec stuff going on right now it's it's just kind of the reverberations of whatever happened at at uh, at, at those shows but there's been a crap load of really high profile breaches over the past couple of days and this is one of them so uh the story here is that albertson's who is a pretty large grocery store chain uh, they own Acme, Jewel, Osco, Shaw's, Star Markets, and then uh, apparently they recently split off part of their business with, from uh, Super Value, who owns Cub Foods, Hornbacher's, Fresh, uh, sorry, Farm Fresh, Shop and Save, and Shoppers Food and Pharmacy. So this is a, a pretty significant number of stores. I think the uh, they're saying it's it's somewhere around a thousand stores between the two chains had their uh you know their pos systems compromised and and i should say we don't actually know specifically what happened um there is an there is an allegation that the uh their pos has been or their i should say their card data has been stolen there they're not actually saying how that happened uh they do say that the two brands use the same kind of equipment so that's that's probably uh you know I, I think based on what we've seen in previous uh previous history it, it it's most likely another case of ram ram scraping malware but again we don't know exactly how they got in or or what not hopefully we see some kind of target like story where we figure out what what exactly happened but um but we don't really know yet uh let's see some of the one thing that i noticed and this has been irritating me 
a lot lately with these retail breaches is uh, Super Value on their on their website. They they have a pretty extensive statement, which doesn't actually say much. Uh, and, which, and by the way, that's one of the real values of a good marketing person, a good public relations person, is to be able to come up with you know two pages of text and have it not actually say much. And but but look, kind impressive. of like our podcast. Well, very much like yes. So um so anyway they uh they they are offering credit monitoring for people whose cards were stolen. Which I, Well that's the default go to answer, right? That is the industry accepted response to look, we care, we're sorry, ask for credit monitoring. But but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't matter. That is what the go to answer now is. And realistically, though, and I'm not apologizing for them, but realistically, what else are they going to do? Well, there isn't anything, right? And that's that's the problem. They, I mean, they're kind of stuck. There, there's not a good answer. Uh, but I think that I think that the issue is that you know credit monitoring, credit monitoring is going to tell you if someone tries to open a loan in your name or open a new credit card or. You know what? Something like that. It's not going to help. Hey, here's a concept: freeze your credit. <laughs> well, there's that too. I mean, yeah, they make it a little difficult, but it's by far one of the most effective ways right. to stop that sort of thing. And if they're copying a credit card number, I, I get it; it's a pain in the ass. But it's not really the liability of the endpoint user. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't have all sorts of hell rain down upon them, and it's a big pain in the ass to fix it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not the liability of the endpoint user when a credit card gets popped. Yeah, yeah. Well, it gets a little more complicated when you t- start talking about debit cards. Sure. Yeah, and and they start draining your account, and then things start bouncing. And but again, credit monitoring isn't going to help that either. Well, okay, and I'm not blaming the victims here, but I am saying be cognizant of the reality of the situation. I am cognizant that this can happen, right? And I have a lot of things on auto-draft, and so I have a game plan. If somebody pops my debit card and drains what's in my checking account, first of all, it's relatively minimal to cover the time between paychecks and what's going on for those bills. Uh, I move excess funds out. I have a secondary account that isn't linked that has a certain set amount of money I can move back in. I, I'm m- more paranoid than most, right? And and before anyone starts screaming white privilege, uh, yes, I have... White seen, privilege. Th- thank you. It wasn't very screamed, but, you know... He takes some lessons from Bob. He knows how to write it properly. I do what I can. Um, the point is I have a plan, right? I, I'm aware that this happens. I'm aware that this exists out there. I've thought through what I would do if it happened to me, and I've got a plan. Yes, I'm boring at parties, but damn it, I have a plan. <laughs> so my, my point is you can't just stick your head in the sand, and that's something that we talk about a lot in this show is – Think through the stuff that's likely to happen and have a game plan. Yeah, not just in the business world, but also in your your personal affairs, too. It's true. I mean, that's why I've got like four backup girlfriends on standby. Wow. 
we done an array of inexpensive girls. Well, Oof. I just went too far. Yeah. That was a line. That was me crossing it. I apologize. Jeez. Move on. I, yeah. I, I don't know where to go there. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, more. hopefully more to come on, on that story as time goes on. Because we really don't know anything, right? No, not yet. It just the, I guess the, the the point I wanted to bring up is we're we're seeing a glut of this happening, and you know I was uh, I was kind of wondering is, is PCI going to change now? You know, this is well, that's that's the interesting question. I saw you pose this on on Twitter the other day. Is PCI failing? Right. Or well, that, that's that, see that was uh, that was one of my thoughts. Right is. Y- in this in this kind of a scenario, you've got a fork in the road, right? So, is PCI really in, ineffective, or are people, uh, by people I mean companies, really bad at implementing it? That is a question, and you know the follow up question is: Is PCI failing because it is too slow to respond? Right. Yeah. So the one thing I will say about this story that really made me chuckle was the last line of the story. This event will only add to the sobering statistic. Half of American adults have been hacked this past year. Do you consider a credit card being compromised a hack of an individual? I, I don't. I don't. I don't know that I can. Only buy that. only if I am a clickbait author. Fair enough. <laughs> I I think I think that that does cheapen the word hack a little bit. Oh, well. I I'm, I think there's a I think there's a very long a distinguished line of of things that are cheapening the word hack right now. Fair enough. All right, so moving on. Next story comes from Forbes, and the title is "Thousands of People Oblivious to the Fact That Anyone on the Internet Can Access Their Computers." I think we could have stopped that title much earlier in that sentence had it been completely accurate. Thousands of people are oblivious. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're right. It wouldn't have been as clickbaity, though. True. Now, to be fair, this is actually a decent article. Uh, yes, and 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 a absolutely hilarious Twitter feed, by the way. <laughs> absolutely hilarious. So, so there's two uh, two people. A guy named Dan Tentler and another one named Paul McMillan. They made a presentation at Security Summer Camp. I don't remember if it was Black Hat or DEF CON. It looks like it was DEF CON. And they talked about scanning the internet for open VNC connections. And apparently they found about 30,000 of them. Open and unauthenticated. Yes, open and wide open. Like you can connect to it and see the desktop. No password required. And uh, and so they... uh, this article kind of goes through some of the escapades they you know they 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 found uh, a pharmacy's i guess it was drug dispenser connected to the uh, to the internet and they they contacted the pharmacist and uh i guess the pharmacist kind of panicked and called <clears throat> called the uh, the manufacturer and the manufacturer i guess shut it off and and was absolutely amazed that vnc could bypass the firewall um, which you know, I, I got a bit of a, a chuckle, but you know the the most funny thing about this, and it's it's kind of sad too, right? The most funny thing though is that that uh, Dan Tentler, who's 
Twitter handle is at Viss, V-I-S-S, for a period of many hours was every couple seconds tweeting a screen grab from a different one of these uh, VNC connections. And it was all sorts of crazy. I mean, Windows NT terminal servers and day traders with their, uh, you know, with their portfolio open and people watching movies and uh, control systems for many different industrial kinds of processes. Uh, there was even a milking machine. It was like in a different language and people were trying to figure out what the different words were. And somebody came forward and said, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's like the Greek word for cow or something. I don't know. <laughs> was well, pretty funny stuff. Um, and I got to thinking, you know, uh, thinking about our, our critical infrastructure problem, you know, and uh, I've, you know, I've, I've been kind of an outspoken critic of the whole NIST cybersecurity framework because it, you know, it's, it's kind of very uh, non-deterministic and, and has really no specific recommendations, but God damn it! Close VNC. If, you know, <laughs> if your nuclear power plant has a VNC terminal that anybody can connect to, you know, we don't have to worry about you know elite Chinese hackers, right? And and by the way, <laughs> kind of in, uh, I think it's in the article and also in the discussions on Twitter. Uh, these two people saw repeated cases where people were trying overtly to hack or or move around or you know or you know they had opened up a text editor and said you know you have been owned not 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 these two people right but other people before they got there you know the other people are connecting and and trying to uh to work with it so there seems to be, and I think that one of the points of the article here is that there seems to be this thought that there are people out there looking for this stuff and, and trying to, um, you know, prevent it from from uh, from being misused. And that's not the case. You know, this is uh, it. This is so basic, right? It is. But here's the question: We're continually failing at this over and over and over and over again. Do you see anything that's going to change that? So people's gut reaction to this is, well, the ISP should be scanning their critical infrastructure and turning this off, and third parties should be assessing this. And The SMB space, I don't know you're ever going to get there, right? That That could be a level of... I don't know. But when you start stepping up to critical infrastructure and you start stepping up to large, medium businesses and larger. I think at that point you're talking about lack of common sense security controls. Yeah, and some of the stuff is hard, especially in the in the enterprise space, right? Because the you know, again, the perimeter is becoming much more porous. And, you know, if you've got someone at home connected to your network and you know they they uh, opened up VNC on their computer because they want to be able to get to it from their iPad. You know, and their computer is VPN in, and you know you don't have some other protection in place to to stop it. You know that 
hey, it could be wide open. Somebody could be somebody could trivially connect to your network. And you're not going to catch that in a perimeter scan. True. Uh, but but you should do the perimeter scan. I mean, there look that's kind of table stakes, right? That's a basic, basic, basic thing. Look look for VNC. It's that's the one thing about this is it's so freaking easy to use. So is the term table stakes the new version of not in my wheelhouse? Yes. Okay. Just want to clarify that. Yes. That's or right. in my wheelhouse, as in, the case may be. Right. 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 So this is a challenging one for me. I I completely agree that this is a problem. I completely agree that this is idiocy. I don't see it changing though. I don't unless manufacturers have a massive change of heart and start putting security in front of usability at the risk of upsetting their customers who are frankly a certain extent of them are security clueless. I don't see it being different going forward yeah well and it's hard to say how many of these things were the result of a manufacturer doing something or a var or or uh, you know an enterprising person who wanted to you know again wanted to connect to their computer from their ipad yeah you know, that's that's, that's difficult point. it's difficult to say i shouldn't throw the uh the, mid, the the vendors under the bus well, on this one. You're well, absolutely but right. We, so we could easily have turned that on. I mean, we know that we know that it happens, right? We know from previous from talking about previous, especially point of sale breaches. That it's, there's been a number of cases where, uh, and it's I think it's in fact pretty pretty common for uh, for those uh, um, support companies to to manage the POS terminals via VNC. So this is not, you know, it's not a hypothetical thing. We know that they're doing it, um, but you know, it's if if that thing on the other end of the VNC is uh, is a piece of critical infrastructure, well, you know, they got a you got a big problem. And I don't know what what ultimately is the catalyst to make it change. Is it is it legal? I don't know. Is you know, and and I, I certainly think that the road we're headed down is there's going to be some kind of a regulatory solution, and I think it's not going to be implemented very well. Yeah, I'm not a fan of any regulatory solution, ever. Ever. <laughs> I've picked that up about you, by the way. <laughs> well, we might have some new listeners. Uh, yeah. Third cousins in Iowa might have tuned in. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, uh, you know, I... I'm, I guess I'm a little more I'm a little more uh, pragmatic in some cases. I don't see people doing the right thing without without being uh, whipped. And uh, yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, so I guess the takeaway, at least from enterprises, is check for this stuff, guys. <laughs> yeah, be be aware of the threat. You know, one of the things that one of the things that I had done in a in a previous role is um, you know implement a implement a Scanning, um, basically, we, we scanned our fleet of workstations looking for for VNC. And by the way, there's a whole crapload of different VNC applications. And yeah, it, and it you know it can be used safely and successfully if you're smart about it. Yeah. Yep. And it can also shoot you in the foot. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. So anyhow, uh, we beat that one to death. It's uh, if you want to, if you really want to see some funny stuff, go. Go look at Vis's timeline. It was 
That's pretty epic. Spell that one more time. At V-I-S-S. It was a couple of days ago, so it was... Uh, uh, I don't even know what the, the dates of that would have been. Today's the 18th, so probably like the 15th or so. All right, so moving on to our next story. This one comes from the register, and the title is Time to Ditch HTTP Government Malware Injection Kit Thrust into the Spotlight. So um, th- there's a couple of interesting things swirling around this. Uh, very recently, Google announced that they are going to be, uh, or maybe they already have started, giving a, uh, a slight ranking advantage to sites that are uh, using HTTPS. And because I know that Google is, has kind of been on a warpath since the whole NSA disclosure thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess they view this as sticking the, their thumb in the eye of the NSA, I suppose. But in any event, they're trying to uh, incent website owners to, uh, to move to HTTPS by giving them a slight uplift in their uh, search engine rankings. And I know you have a have some thoughts on that. So, Yeah, it drives me a little crazy. I could go a lot of ways with this. The one I will focus on is I don't believe that purely just encrypting your traffic to and from your site does anything to actually increase the security of your users in that site at all. So let's ignore the government aspect and, and the rest of this story for a moment. Let's just say Google is now saying to people, we want you to encrypt your traffic. And if you encrypt your traffic, we'll reward you with a better area of yeah, search results. Rankings. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I should not more, be looking at like alerts on my phone while I'm talking. More, you get more web traffic, which is what we like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, but I think that's sending the wrong message. There are so many downsides to that message in my mind. First off, what's wrong with HTTPS? Well, nothing if it's used correctly. But if I'm getting your latest recipe off of foodnetwork.com and I want Alton Brown's latest recipe for barbecue ribs, first of all, why do I need that encrypted? Second of all, that does nothing to address any sort of compromise or weaknesses on that website. So if the website is easily, you know, has cross-site scripting vulnerabilities, has SQL injection problems, has iframes that can be manipulated by, you know, ad campaigns, none of that at all is addressed by HTTPS whatsoever. In fact, by encrypting it, I'm actually potentially hobbling some of my uh, IDS or web defensive technology that's monitoring that clear text traffic. Now, you could argue that you should construct it so you can actually decrypt it, but just because I get a little lock, it's a false sense of security that there's any sort of actual security in the construction of the website or what's behind it. All it's saying is that the traffic to and from the website or the load balance in front of it is encrypted. That's it. Yep. And I don't see that as particularly valuable. I actually, if, if, if Google wants to stick their nose in this, which I could challenge that they really shouldn't be sticking their nose in this. It's not, it's not their place to make this determination. They would disagree. Uh, I would rather they say, why don't you go look and just judge if somebody's got vulnerable WordPress plugins that are known to be exploitable. <laughs> or check their password policy. Or <laughs> I mean, there's lots of, 
Lots yeah, there's so many things they could do to actually assess the security of that website. But they just simply say, hey, you turn on HTTPS, rock on, we're going to give you better rankings on our search results, I think is missing the point. And it's, and it's perpetuating a false sense of security. Yeah. So it, especially because, and I'm sorry to interrupt, no, but, but especially because that SSL chain trust is not absolute. Right. Yeah. It's easy to subvert. And that's and that that's kind of where where I wanted to go next. So the sure. the the point of this and before I get there, the point of this particular story is that a group called Citizen Lab and by the way Citizen Lab is a uh, is a research group at a college in Canada. I forget the exact name of the college. But they've been kind of hounding uh, Finn Fisher and Hacking Team for a while and, and giving them some, some crap. And, you know, it's probably, probably a good thing. But what, what, they have, um, what they have found, and I, I suspect that some of the recent disclosures by you know, Finn Fisher may, may have put this back in the news, but what they've found is that uh, these two companies – manufacture essentially a, a, a web injection appliance, right? And so the idea here is uh, you're a government or some other entity and you want, to, uh, you want to get a footprint on the workstations of some targets. And so what you need to do is implement your or install your appliance, your Finn Fisher appliance or your hacking team appliance somewhere in their flow, right? So you probably go to their ISP and you stick that sucker in line and, you know, off off you go. And the idea is that when they go to, when, when your target goes to a, a website uh, that is unencrypted, and we'll get back to that in a minute, it, uh, it does some rewriting of the HTML on the fly to include some, you know, different things, right? And in the case of YouTube, the example that was used is it may uh, it may pop up a dialogue that says you uh, you need to install a new codec and when you go to install the codec you know of course that's actually finspy or you know some some other piece of uh, of government spyware uh, and and uh, apparently there's an, some other options for an additional price uh, you won't even the the targets won't even get that right. It'll just use some zero day that's actually provided by Vupin of all people, which I thought was kind of interesting. I've never actually seen uh, a reference to uh, you know Vupin actually being used in government circles. I mean, we we all know that's where they you know where they hang out, but this is the first uh, first one I've really seen evidence of them using it. But anyhow, um, in this all leads to the point that hey, if you use HTTPS, if you, use, if you put that all over SSL, the problem goes away because now the appliance can't rewrite the HTML, and you know there's there you know there's nothing they can do. The problem is, and you touched on it. The last one of the last things you said is that all of that re- relies on the integrity of the CA chain, the certificate chain. And um, and you know I think that's a that's a nuance that a lot of people don't understand, and clearly I don't think the people that wrote this article understand that. Uh, and I do want to backtrack on that a little bit, right? So so that the, the point there is, if I am a government, right, I can create 
a certificate probably for any site I want, right? I sure. have access, you know, from some some form or other. I can frankly, get, if you're a government and for some reason you're stymied in this approach, you've got about a thousand others that can work. Well, ex- ex- yes, exactly right. So, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, so I can create a certificate for any site I want. I can... I can do, you know, we we know that that companies have been doing, uh, you know, SSL stripping and re-encryption for a long time, uh, you, you know, to, to monitor employee traffic and and whatnot. So, um, and, and and just to interrupt for just a moment, yeah. it's simpler than that. All I have to do is install a cert on your browser. Yeah. Right. So if if I can get malware to you, which is trivial, right? And all I'm doing is throwing a cert on there. Now you're going to trust my cert, and you're not even going to blink an eyelash at it. Now, in theory, it's supposed to be checking to see if it is, you know, the site that says it is and that kind of stuff. But again, this is not, you know, incontributable in technology. It's easy to get around, relatively speaking. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, so, I mean, that, I think that's the problem, right, is that there's a lot of different ways you can you can install cert on the on the target computer, which you know, if it's a system that you've never seen before, that might not be be reasonable. But you certainly can generate your own valid certificates if you have control of a CA or an in on a CA. Um, but where that starts to break down is is with something that's new called certificate pinning, right? And basically, that says that your web browser, um, you know, your web browser knows that a f- a particular website is going to use a particular fingerprinted. Cert and so if somebody is, you know, if you, if you visit that you you visit Google Google dot com and it's giving you a cert that doesn't have that fingerprint, it's you're going to get an error. You're going to it's going to it's going to throw up a warning and and most people will probably ignore it anyway. But uh, you know if you if you uh, if you get around that, you know. But I have to wonder if if uh, you know if you're if you're the NSA or an intelligence agency. And uh, and you know we we know for instance there was a, a just before this the uh, I think the the U.S. military released their uh, their version of the DBIR right and and uh, and they were talking about all the different ways that uh, um, government data or military data was being attacked and one of them was you know basically planting employees. You know, and, and obviously it's not in the context of the U.S. government planting employees. It's other, you know, other other countries, right? There are other ways than hacking to obtain, you know, the the, the private keys of a of a website that you want to uh, that you want us to uh, masquerade as. And so my point is, I I, I think it's uh, I think it's kind of foolish to think that a determined government who wants to spy on you is going to be thrown off the trail by by putting this crap over SSL. It's true. So long long way of uh, of saying that. So anyhow, that was I just wanted to get that off my chest. All right, moving on. Krebs on Security has a story called uh, t- or titled Tennessee Firm Sues Bank over $327,000 cyber heist. A company called TEC Industrial is suing their bank, TriSummit Bank. Uh, apparently, what happened here is that the, the bank has, a, uh, I guess, issued a series of one-time tokens. 
And the controller of this of this TEC industrial was uh, was trying to run payroll or, or trying to submit their payroll. Uh, she logged into the bank site, issued her entered her one time token, and then got a an error message that the site was down. She called the bank. The bank said, "Oh, it's probably down for maintenance or whatever." Well, I guess you know allegedly, or we don't actually know, right? But presumably, her computer had some form of a banking trojan on it, and the bad bad people uh, used that token and her password to log in and uh, transfer $327,000 amongst 55 different bank accounts throughout the U.S. And uh, uh, the suit basically is alleging negligence, breach of contract, gross negligence, and false concealment. And one of the key things in, in, in my view, my read of this, is that uh, the bank and their customer, TEC Industrial, had an agreement that after a transaction would, was submitted, before the bank would post it, they were to call TEC and get confirmation. Well, in this particular case, they didn't call till the day after, and, and the transaction actually posted. So, um, so in the end, the bank was able to claw back $135,000 that left TEC uh, losing about $192,000. Um, so, so it's kind of an interesting thing um, in that we don't often see companies like this suing their banks, right? And Krebs actually goes through some of the reasons for that. These kinds of transactions or these kinds of relationships between companies and banks are not like people and banks, at least in the U.S., right? You know, they're in, in the U.S., we have uh, we've got uh, consumers have different protections than banks do, and in in the banking world, uh, this relationship is it's basically it's governed under contractual law, which is under the auspices of the Uniform Commercial Code, and uh, and and so it's it's long long way of saying that at the end of the day, if you are successful in suing your bank to recover money, all you're going to get back is what you lost. And so if you pay hundreds of thousand dollars to your attorney, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're actually not getting anything. And so you don't tend to see these kinds of lawsuits, uh, for, for low amounts, like $192,000. Now it's not directly said, but it's kind of talked around a little bit, but it sounds to me like in this particular case, uh, the, this TEC industrial is trying to um, is, is trying to circumvent the UCC, right? They're trying to uh, they're trying to get it out of uh, you know out of that domain uh, so that they can get some punitive damages out of the the company. So, um, it, Krebs pointed out that if they're successful, this could pretty dramatically change the relationship between banks and, and their customers, or commercial customers at least. Um, and uh, and the, the final thing I wanted to say on this is that uh, Krebs actually does have, uh, he links to uh, um, some advice he gives on commercial banking, right? And it's kind of the, the normal things, right? You, uh, you know, you should, you know, you should 
set up all the you know the, whatever security authentication features your bank has and run antivirus and you know don't click on funny cats.exe or whatever but the, what frustrates me is we we keep seeing this over and over again right it's not a huge expense to have a dedicated computer to do your banking on if you're a, if you're a company that has you know hundred there's processing any significant amount of money in banking transactions. Do it on a dedicated computer. Don't you know? Don't do that on on the same computer you check your email on and and other stuff because you you just lose the money, right? It's there's you don't get it back. You you lose two hundred grand. That's that's this company's payroll. I don't know if that was for the month or for the week, but that's a huge amount of money for them. Yeah, it makes me wonder, and I don't know a lot about this, but business insurance and such, where that comes into play, but there's certainly not any sort of protection at the at the banking level, no. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know about don't know about, about business insurance. So anyhow, that was um, that was uh, my bit on that. The, the final story we have for tonight comes from Trend Micro, and the title is Seven Places to Check for Signs of a, target, a Targeted Attack in Your Network. I thought this was pretty neat because there's some, uh, some things I hadn't really seen recommended before, so I thought it would be good to talk about, uh, although some of them are kind of familiar buckets of, of categories. So the number one was checking for injected DNS records, and they recommend looking for for domains that are being queried, which are responding with IPs that, uh, that they're calling parked, right? So, you know, a domain that that uh, responds back to 127.0.0.1 or, or some obviously bogus address, right? Because that, that may very well be evidence of a, a system trying to contact out to a command and control host. However, I've seen tons and tons and tons of just random stuff on a network that is completely innocuous, just somebody punching in something random when they're configuring something. So well, yeah. certainly not a definitive statement. <laughs> no, ab- <laughs> But yes, absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. Um, looking for un- unknown domains that were registered very recently, say three days ago. And I, you know, that's a... <clears throat> That's a good one. I, I've seen that one. I've seen that one be used successfully before. Uh, domains that appear to consist of random characters, and you know th- these are uh, in the line of the domain generation algorithms. And if you're if you're not familiar with that, go go read about them. They're pretty uh, pretty interesting. But basically, uh, a lot of times malware will uh, have some kind of an algorithm embedded within them, where on a periodic basis it tries to call out to a command and control host at a particular random domain address. And, uh, and so usually it's just a bunch of garbage. And, and fortunately, it's, if you're looking at it, it's usually pretty obvious that it's, you know, <laughs> either, either somebody's having a real bad day on their keyboard or it's, uh, it's probably malware. Uh, domains that appear to imitate known entities, you know, so miss you know misspellings of of common domains are are, are pretty uh are pretty common uh indications of malware see next uh, next category are audit accounts for failed or irregular logins and 
you know, this is something that in my view that is so underused inside inside company intranets. You know that it's a it's a it's a bit of data that is is available to you, and uh, it's also it's usually very very indicative of a problem, right? So you, see, you know, now the flip side of that is if somebody uh, if you're if you have an, let's say an Active Directory <clears throat> domain and and somebody forgets their password or changes their password and they have a service account or, or what you know some many different opportunities right you can you can see uh, lots of um, of failed logins in a in a short period of time so it's not a you know as with everything it's not a 100% solution but it is a good indication that something might be going on if you're paying attention to uh, to failed logins i'll just make this blanket statement anytime you start looking at stuff that for the first time you're going to get overwhelmed and scared. It's all about baselining what is normal. And yeah, you would, yeah. you'd be amazed how much crazy stuff goes on that is just normal. This is one reason I was talking about this on Twitter with somebody. A lot of times, I don't know that academics who have never done operations understand how much just random crazy stuff happens on networks. And so you've got to take that into account when you start looking at the stuff. Not that any of this is, is bad advice. It's just... Mm-hmm. Scary the first time you look at it until you start to figure out what the noise is and, and what the actual signal is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe you know, there, there may be a, uh, an opportunity here to use the, the, the uh, honey accounts, right, to look for, uh, look for things that shouldn't have any failed logins. Uh, study warnings from security solutions. By the way, this is another one that I have seen fail miserably time and time again. So let's say you have a let's say you have a web server that's running Windows, okay? Let's say that web server uh, is running I don't know Trend Micro or Symantec, hey, whatever, right? And uh, and let's say um, you know you're uh, you, all of a sudden you see a you, you see a virus you see a hit right you see you see a Trend clean off a known web shell right well you know the average person might say oh that's pretty cool cleaned it caught it cleaned it good but you should be asking what the hell just happened (laughs) you know if if this is an automated uh you know if this is really sitting there in an automated fashion not interactive and you know shouldn't be seeing that kind of traffic uh, i have seen these kinds of alerts um go unheeded and have that cause a lot of problems or not, not causing problems. Right. But they missed an indication of a big problem. And, you know, we love to dog on AV and how ineffective AV is, but sometimes it does catch things, but if you're not watching, you know, you're, you're not going to get the benefit of it. Um, another one that I really like is, um, is turning your, uh, your, IPS is to look for PS exec. Uh, PS exec, you know, granted, PS exec is a tool that is loved by many a Windows admin, uh, and it's a good, you know, can be a handy thing. But it's also loved by by the uh, the attackers who will pivot throughout your organization once they <laughs> once they get in. And so, uh, it's it's a great thing to turn on and look for because um, you know it's. Again, unless you're using it in, for some 
particular purpose, uh, if you start seeing that traffic, it's a really good indication that something's going on and you, you should take a, take a look, check for large, strange fire. Sorry. Check for strange, large files. Again, I see this quite a lot. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's a hacker handbook out there now, right? But the, these people are, they just download all your crap into a big tarball and then they, and then they offload it. And the point here is look for that, you know, it's not hard. Write a script. Look, look for a, look for files that you don't think should be there or, or aren't normally there. Again, sometimes it might be legitimate. Uh, audit network log for abnormal connections. Uh, you know, this is the, this in my mind, this is the uh, DNS queries to the outside that shouldn't be there, or the SMTP connections to the outside, or your, uh, you know, your server or your internet server that has no business talking to anything outside suddenly starting to connect outbound that's uh that's that's that look look for that abnormal protocols you know you start seeing uh you start seeing vnc traffic maybe uh maybe you want to look at that uh increased email activity that's a really tough one because it's it's so often outside of your control, you know, if you start seeing a just a huge, huge uh, uptick in spam. Now, I suppose, you know, if you're if you're looking strictly outbound, that might be an interesting thing. Um, but I guess you'd have to have a pretty good baseline, and and still, I think there could be a lot of a lot of false positives there. But something to think about. Uh, and then countermeasures, and I think this is, you know, this is kind of the looking for the indicators of compromise and your your fire eyes and that sort of thing. So, anyhow, that was uh, that's that article. I thought it was was uh, you know some some good thoughts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, until the very end, when they're like, oh, and and use our gear. Well, yeah, I mean, it's. A, they're, Short of that, they're a vendor. <laughs> hey, I just got to call it out, right? We, we try to be very objective here, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, yeah, Trend Micro could do all that for you, right? Whatever. All right, so that is the show for this evening. Uh, as usual, if you have any thoughts, opinions, complaints, especially complaints, uh, send us an email to info at defensivesecurity.org. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can find the website, back episodes, links to all the stories we talk about on the website, www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow Mr. Kellett on Twitter at Lurg. You can follow me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. We hope to see you at DerbyCon. I've got swag. And uh, with that, we'll talk again next week. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks. Take care.